Well, I would uh, ask you as we have opened our Bibles back up again this morning, I would ask you to turn with me to the Psalms, to the book of Psalms. Actually, let's let's first of all go back to the book of Leviticus, if we could. Uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 11. I want to read two brief portions of Scripture here this morning, but I think I will begin with the passage in Leviticus, the 11th chapter. So if you want to turn there with me, we'll be looking at just two verses of Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. Leviticus chapter 11. I will confess to you, although I have preached from Leviticus uh, more than once, obviously, but uh, not a whole lot of times. It's not a a book that I can recall uh, bringing a lot of messages from. But there are two verses here that uh, are really important for us to hear and understand. They are so important that they are quoted by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. But we'll look at them as they uh, came uh, first in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. For here we read that God says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall, therefore, be holy, for I am holy." There are some uh, pretty heavy words when you stop and think about it. God is a holy God. But as R.C. Sproul would often have reminded us, God is holy, but we are not. We are not holy. And we see that so clearly throughout the Scripture as well. And we'll see David the psalmist confessing that very thing in the psalm that we're going to look at here, Psalm 51, the 51st psalm. I'm not going to read all of this, uh, David's confession and and praying for mercy and all. I just want to read uh, about three verses here from Psalm 51, verses 3 through 5, if you would care to look there with me. Uh, psalm 51, verses 3 through 5. Here David says, For I know my transgressions. (laughs) I know my transgressions. Who of us here this morning that are believers, but what we could readily and very quickly say the same thing, we know, don't we? But as well as we know, (laughs) we don't know them nearly as well as the Lord himself does. David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. God is holy and we are not. Uh, That word iniquity which is synonymous with many other 
ways of sin being spoken of, sin and transgression and, and, and all and iniquity, it literally means the absence of holiness. The absence of that which is holy. And uh, I pray this morning that God will impress upon our hearts uh, the things that we're going to consider from his word. And uh, I would uh, this morning simply entitle the message that I want to speak uh, this morning that I believe God has placed upon my heart as uh, the inestimable value of the Word of God. The inestimable, eh, that's hard for me to say. Uh, let me rephrase that title if I could. God's Word is value far above and beyond any estimate that we could ever give it. Uh, it's beyond that the value of God's Word. I would ask you to join me now as I bow before the Lord in prayer. I, I pray that God will be pleased to make His presence known in and through His Word as we consider it this morning. Make it real to us. Make it, make it as we read in the book of Hebrews, a living and powerful Word or a living and active Word in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives and that God will use it to accomplish his purpose in each one of us. So bow with me, if you would, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are so, so grateful that once again we can come together to worship you. Lord, we, we acknowledge, Lord, we, we know that we're not worthy to do so. We know, Lord, that we're not worthy to even call upon your name. We know, Lord, were it not for our Savior, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, we'd have no hope whatsoever of drawing near to you, of calling upon your name, of being, Father, in, in the presence of one so holy, so high above us, so far above and beyond us, Lord, for we are sinful. Oh, God, how I pray. How I pray that you might accept us in the beloved, in your Son, in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as you accept us, would you be pleased to open our hearts to hear, to see, to understand, to know that which you would have us to hear from your word this morning. We commit the time into your hands, praying your will be done. This we ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, sadly... And I hesitate, and I thought about this a little bit earlier as I put this here in my notes. Sadly, I hate to begin a message from the Word of God with the word sadly, uh, but in all reality, there are portions of God's Word that become truly uh, a saddening thing to those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Sounds like she might have gotten loose again. Uh, well, forgive us for our interruption there. Sadly, sadly and truly it is so that, uh, uh, and with so little regard, if any regard at all, uh, for the certainty of the eternal 
and agonizing and painful eternity that men are going to face, uh, yet they place no value upon the Word of God. Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad when we consider what God has given us here that there are so many in this world, natural man, natural man apart from God opening his eyes to see the value in his word, sees no value in it whatsoever. None whatsoever. And yet it is a, uh, a gift given us that is beyond estimate in its value. Uh, and some of us here this morning are coming to see and understand that more and more with each passing day as God is pleased to speak to our hearts and make real to us more and more of that which he has given us here in his word. Now my question to you this morning is simply this. Do you see its value? Do you value the word of God for what it is? Uh, the very word of God. Uh, God's word, its great value, I think, can be uh, summarized by saying that in the word of God, we see the God of the word. In the word of God, we see the God of the word. And my, what a valuable thing it is to see the God of this Bible. And that's what the Word of God is, is it not? It's a revelation of God. It's a revelation of God, who He is and what He's like. And in seeing God as He is uh, and, and what He is like, we cannot but see ourselves for what we are. I know that uh, there was a time in my life before God opened my eyes to see Him as He is in the Word. Uh, I had gone to church all my life, raised in church, uh, never missed hardly ever a Sunday unless I was sick, and yet uh, there's so much I did not see and I did not understand about who God is. And because I did not see and understand who God is and what he's like, I really failed to see myself as God sees me. My problem was, and I think it's the case with perhaps all natural men, and by that I include men and women, uh, the problem is that we tend, before God reveals himself to us, we tend to compare ourselves with what? with other folks, with other folks. Uh, and in comparing ourselves with other folks, although we may see some that we know are perhaps in a lot better shape than we are, if we look far enough and if we look closely enough, it's not hard to find someone that we can think, well, I'm a lot better than they are. I don't do the things they do. And, and we pat ourselves on the back and we go on. Uh, with our lives falling short of what God would have us to be. Uh, you know, the psalm, or the, the, the Apostle Paul tells us in the uh, uh, third chapter of Romans that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But until God reveals himself to us, we never see that, do we? We never see that. 
We never recognize that we are not what God demands. We are not what God is. And so we need to we need to stop and consider here this morning the great value of God's word. And uh, the only place that we will see who God is and what he's like is in his word. Nowhere else. And I know that, uh, you know, Paul tells us in the first chapter of the book of Romans that uh, uh, that creation itself reveals his uh, eternity and his Godhead, that he is the eternal God, that he is... Uh, uh, the, that creator of all things and yet even in that we fail to see so much that is necessary of who God is and what he's really like uh, there is the justice of God that we must see and understand and God is a just God is he not he is a just God his holiness demands that he be just uh, and yet if we do not see God, as he reveals himself, we never recognize the justice of God. God gives each man what he deserves, what he deserves. And uh, and yet we fail to understand just uh, the ramifications of that because we don't realize who God is and what he's like. Uh, we fail to see the mercy of God. And the grace of God, things so important to, to all of us who have come to see our great need for him and for what he alone can do for those of us who previously have fallen far, far short of what God demands. Well, this morning I want us to realize that uh, we must see God as he reveals himself. The Word of God reveals to us the God of the Word. Therein we find the great value of God's Word in that He reveals Himself through His Word to us. I would ask you to consider with me this morning a passage of Scripture in Isaiah that we have looked at so many, many times before, and yet it's always good to come back to the sixth chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 where the scripture tells us there in verse 1 and following that in the year King Uzziah died, uh, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So listen carefully, if you would, as we begin to read this passage of scripture. And, and I want us to see, first of all, if we can, uh, what it is that Isaiah uh, saw. Listen to what he saw here in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 and following. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That perhaps is... Uh, something that would call our attention to his righteousness, the train of his robe filling the temple, his very righteousness. All of his acts are right. Everything that God does is right and it is good. And above him stood the seraphim. The seraphim are angelic creatures. And above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. 
Uh, we'll not take time to look at all the explanation of that, but let me just mention to you that they, uh, these angelic creatures, holy as they were, sinless as they were, God was so far above and beyond them in his purity and in his holiness that these angelic creatures had to cover their eyes. They could not even look fully upon the purity and the holiness of their creator, of God. And so one was crying out to another. This is what Isaiah saw in this vision that God gave him here in Isaiah chapter 6. Next, I want us to, to, to listen and to see what it was that Isaiah heard. Listen to what he heard. Verse 3, after, one, after these, uh, uh, hearing these angelic creatures, these seraphim calling out one to another, what was it they were saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. His glory being his very sinless perfection. The whole earth full of his glory or his sinless perfection. Isn't it interesting? Uh, you know, as we study the scripture and as we look to God's word and as we spend time in the word of God, we continue to run upon the various different characteristics or attributes of God that are made known to us in the scripture. And there are many. There are many. Some of them we can fully understand. Some of them we can barely understand. Some of them we can't grasp at all. And yet, nevertheless, uh, the attributes of God are made known unto us. And, and one that we often think about is, is God's love. God's love. But how many times in the scripture do you recall ever running on to uh, God's love being described the way his holiness is described here? We don't read love, love, love is God, do we? We don't read that. What about his omnipotence? Oh, my God is an all-powerful God, but we don't read ever that, that his power, his might, is repeated in the triplicate. Almighty, almighty, almighty is God. It's not there, is it? Neither do we find that when we see any of the attributes of God except for his holiness except for his holiness holy 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 is the lord god the whole earth is full of our, his glory here in our text there that we're just looking at in isaiah chapter 6 these verses right here in this text we read where these angelic creatures with intentional repetition tirelessly and endlessly echo this amazing declaration of God's holiness or glory. Holy, holy, holy. If we were to turn all the way over to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, we would find there once again a reference in Revelation chapter 4, I believe it's verse 8, to these very same angelic creatures crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Day and night, day and night they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
all of the attributes and the characteristics of God, of all of them that we read of in the scripture. It is his holiness that is affirmed with repetitive emphasis. Holy, holy, holy. More than any other attribute that God has, it's his holiness that is the very focal point of, of his Godhead. I don't recall who it was that said that, but I wrote that down as a quote. More than any other attribute, it is God's holiness that is the very focal point of his Godhead. It is his holiness that describes the true essence of God in all of his glory. Out of his holiness flows everything else that God is. Everything else. We talked earlier about the justice of God. The justice of God, the mercy and the grace of God. Those are two streams that flow out of the holiness of God. On the one hand, his justice, and God is just. He's never unjust with anyone. Even those who are condemned to hell, God is not unjust because they're getting what they deserve. But on the other hand, God is a God of mercy and grace, is he not? A God of mercy and grace upon those whom he is pleased to be gracious and merciful to. The scripture tells us, and Paul tells us this in the ninth chapter of his letter to the Romans, and this again is a quote from the Old Testament where God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Not that he's bound to. Not that he's merciful because we deserve it, but because he wills it. It's all in God's good pleasure, is it not? Is it not? Well, I trust this morning that uh, we will go on from where we are right here remembering and realizing that God is an absolutely holy God. And, uh, and on the other hand, we are not. God is a God who is holy and a God who is satisfied with nothing but holiness. Nothing but holiness. Nothing but absolute purity. And uh, uh, we read from the book of Leviticus there at the beginning of our time this morning that God says, I am the Lord your God and I'm holy. And then he says what? You be holy. You be holy. Peter quotes that in First Peter chapter 1. Should you care to look there? I believe it's about verse 15, somewhere in there. Uh, in First Peter chapter 1, uh, God is a holy God. But if we were to never see the holiness of God, we would never see our own sinfulness. If we were to turn back and look here again where we were in Isaiah chapter 6 a few moments ago, we read down through oh, verse 3. But should we have read a little bit further, we would find that after hearing those angelic creatures cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then listen, immediately Isaiah, after having seen the Lord and heard what he heard, the scripture says that he said, Woe is me. Woe is me. Some have translated that, uh, I am undone. Others have translated that as Isaiah saying, I'm lost. 
I'm lost. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What is Isaiah telling us here? When he saw the Lord, when he saw the Lord, immediately he saw himself for what he is. Uh, Isaiah very well may have been just like most of us. Up until this point, he may have been comparing himself to others around him. But not now. Not now. He sees that one in all clarity to whom we must all compare ourselves. And if we fall short of who and what he is, we're in trouble because God accepts nothing but holiness. Doesn't the writer in Hebrews tell us without holiness it's impossible uh, to, to be in the presence of God? No man shall see the Lord without holiness. No man. That's not me. That's not you. That's not anyone. Uh, oh, but, uh, but isn't it interesting here that Isaiah tells us not only does he see himself as God sees him, not only does he see himself as he really is, but he sees that everybody else that he'd been comparing himself to before was just like him. We're all in the same boat, aren't we? We come into this world sinful, just like the, the psalmist said in our text there from Psalm 51 this morning. In sin did my mother conceive me. That means he was born sinful, born with a sinful nature. That just like you and I are. We all come into this world with a sinful heart, alienated and separated from God because of it. I was looking earlier in uh, uh, the 119th Psalm. You might want to just turn back there for just a moment with me. I almost had this passage of Scripture here for my text this morning until the Lord moved me on the two passages that we read, the one from Leviticus and the one from Psalm 51. But in the 119th Psalm, uh, this Psalm is so full uh, of uh, precious truths. But I want you to look with me here, beginning with verse 9 of the 119th Psalm. Verse 9 of Psalm 119. Here the psalmist says, How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, the King James says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, I uh, picked up a, a, a volume by... Charles Bridges, a man who was uh, a pastor, a preacher in the Church of England back in the uh, early to mid-1800s, uh, and he has a commentary on the 119th Psalm, and I was looking through this and reading this, and when it came to this verse where it says, uh, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I thought it would be worth sharing with you some of his comments 
uh, upon these verses. So listen, if you would, to what he says here. He says, what an aggregate, what an aggregate of guilt and misery is comprehended in this short word, sin. Oh, listen to that. What an aggregate of guilt and misery is comprehended in this short word, sin. The greatest curse that ever entered the universe of God and the parent of every other curse. Its guilt is aggravated beyond the conception of thought for its injury to a superior. It is injury to a father. It is injury to a sovereign. And let me just add, it is injury and an offense to this holy God that we've been considering from His Word here this morning. It's power. The power of sin is misery wherever it extends, in the family and in the world. And we have, most all of us, experienced, at least in some degree, exactly what Mr. Bridges is saying here, haven't we? The misery that sin brings into our lives, into our families, and all throughout the world. Well, it goes on to say how supremely important, therefore, is the object of our preservation from sin and how wisely adapted are the means to the end. What is the means toward us being preserved from this sin that all of us have in our nature? It's the Word of God. Isn't that what he said? Thy word have I hidden in my heart. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David. David at another time in the, in the, the uh, 17th Psalm, I believe it is, says, By the word of your lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. There it is again. By the word of God. By the word of God, we are kept and we are preserved and we are protected. Oh, how valuable. How valuable we must see the word of God to be to us. Mr. Bridges says the value of the word is inestimable. <laughs> That's where I got the title for the message this morning. Estimate beyond our, our comprehension. We can never rightly estimate the value of God's Word to each one of us. Well, how is the Word to gain entrance into hearts like ours? If that be true, what we're just saying, what Mr. Bridges made so clear here in his commentary, how is it then that this Word that preserves us from our sin how is it that it finds entrance into hearts uh, like ours? He says, how shall it be hid in so unkindly a soil? No power of man surely can plant it there. It is the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the Spirit Almighty. His agency must be diligently sought. For in proportion as we are filled with His gracious influence, shall we be armed as was our master for the effectual resistance of our spiritual temptations. 
You remember the temptation experience of the Lord Jesus in the wilderness recorded for us both in the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew and again in the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. And each time Satan tempted Christ with something, do you remember what his response was? It is written. It is written. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that preserves us. It's the Word of God that protects us. Oh, how valuable I we must see God's Word to be. How precious it should be to those of us whom God is pleased to make Himself known. Uh, I can recall, oh my, I recall reading a book by Arthur Pink probably 35 if not 40 years ago, a little book entitled Profiting from the Word profiting from God's Word. Uh, I even borrowed heavily from Mr. Pink many, many years ago and preached several messages uh, using his outline, using some of the things that he said about profiting from the Word of God based upon uh, the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where there the Apostle Paul says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And he goes on to mention some of the things that it's profitable for. Well, I want to declare, just if I could with you in the brief time that we have remaining here this morning, to just share with you some of the things that Pink so many years ago spoke to my heart about the value of God's Word and how profitable it is when it comes to this matter of our sin that is so offensive to God. He says in the first place that the Word of God is, is profitable to us, it's valuable to us because it convicts us of our sin. It convicts us of our sin. Uh, it reveals to us our depravity and our wickedness. Oh, how many times have we considered what God saw there in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 when he looked down upon man and he saw that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually before him. It's all God saw. It's all God saw in sinful man. Every thought of his heart, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was nothing but evil continually before him. What about the prophet Jeremiah? In the 17th chapter of Jeremiah, verse 9, where he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Oh, uh, we, we benefit from God's Word. We find its great value in that it convicts us of our sin. It reveals to us, after showing us our sin, that we have a need that we in and of ourselves cannot meet, doesn't it? It shows us our need for Christ, for a Savior that God has provided, uh, that who alone can do something about our sin that would make us acceptable uh, in the sight of God. Well, in the second place, Mr. Pink said, not only does it convict of sin, but it makes us sorrow over our sin makes us sorrow over our sin you recall the apostle paul 
in writing to the church at Corinth, chapter 7, he says, Godly sorrow works repentance. Godly sorrow works repentance. Uh, you remember when Jesus began his public ministry as recorded in the first chapter of the gospel according to Mark? He came uh, preaching uh, the kingdom of God saying what? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus twice said, except we repent, we're all going to likewise perish. Except we repent, we'll all likewise perish. On another occasion, the scripture says that God commands that we all repent. God commands it. God demands it. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is a change of mind, literally. The word for repentance in the Greek means to change one's mind. In other words, we change our mind about sin. Whereas before we found pleasure in it, now we mourn over it and we grieve over it and we're sorrow, sorrowing in our hearts as God reveals to us our sin and that it's that sin that separates us and alienates us from God and that sin that condemns us to an eternity separated from Him, from him in, a, in a hell prepared for the devil and his angels. Oh, the word of God is of great value to us because it makes us sorrow over our sin. I'm wondering, uh, is that what the word of God does in your heart and in your life as you read it? Does it convict you of sin? Does it create in your heart a godly sorrow over your sin, realizing how offensive your sin is to God? Well, in the third place, Pink says that it leads to confession of sin. Leads to confession of sin. You know what the word confess means? We've talked about this before. It means to say the same thing. In other words, when God speaks to our hearts and declares that we're sinners, when we confess that, we're agreeing with God. We're saying the same thing about our sin that God says about it. And, and what it really is in his eyes. He whose heart is honest before God will acknowledge his sin before God. And oh my, what a blessing. As John tells us in verse John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our sin, of all of our unrighteousness. If we confess our sin if we acknowledge it to Him, if we confess it, if we agree with God, if we say the same thing to God about our sin that God has said to us about it. it the Word of God leads us to confess our sin before God. There is no spiritual profit. There is no spiritual prosperity or profit that comes to the one who seeks to hide his sin, the sin of his heart. Uh, look with me for just a moment at Proverbs chapter 28. Perhaps you're familiar with this, uh, this verse. If not, it's a good one for you to store up in your heart, even as uh, the psalmist talked about storing up uh, in his heart the word of God that he might not sin against God. Listen to what the writer in Proverbs, Solomon, says in 
Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Whoever hides his sin will not prosper. He will not uh, profit. But, he says, he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Will have mercy. Oh, how grateful we must be that we can benefit from the Word of God when it leads us and directs us and teaches us to confess and acknowledge our sin before God. In the fourth place, Pink said that God's Word goes on to produce in us a hatred for sin. A hatred for sin. Oh, we might make... uh, some headway we think in our lives when it comes to our sin and uh, and uh, con- confessing it to God and even perhaps having a degree of some kind of sorrow over our sin. Uh, but have we ever come to the place of hating our sin? Do you know why we sin? Because we want to, don't we? And why do we want to? Because we like it. Because we like it. No, we love it. We love it, don't we? That's the reason we sin. That's the reason we sin against God, is because we love our sin more than we love God. Oh, but Pink says that uh, God's Word is so valuable to us because it causes us to hate our sin. It produces in us a hatred for sin. The psalmist said in Psalm 97, You that love the Lord hate evil. That's not an option. That's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. You that love the Lord hate evil. Hate it. Spurgeon was heard on occasion to say, we cannot love God without hating that which God hates. We cannot really love God unless we hate that which God hates. Where the principle of holiness has been planted, there will be a hatred of all that is not holy in the eyes of God. Oh, may God, may God cause us to see uh, the value of His Word in that when we spend time in the Word of God and soak our soul and fill our heart with His Word, it will bring us to see and understand that yes, we must hate what God hates as well as loving that which God loves. In the next place, Pink said that God's Word will cause us to seek to forsake our sin, to leave it behind, to be separated from it. Oh, Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, said, Let everyone that hears, uh, that bears the name of Christ depart from sin. Let everyone that bears the name of Christ depart from sin. Oh, we need to leave it. Uh, God's Word does a cleansing work in our heart, doesn't it? Removing the stain, removing the guilt. Jesus spoke to his disciples in the 15th chapter of John, and he said, You are clean through the Word 
which I have spoken unto you. Clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Listen to what Paul says uh, to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. Fifth chapter of Ephesians and verse 26. Here he says, uh, well, he's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives, but he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Oh, the word of God is effectual in our hearts and lives to wash away, to cleanse us from our sin that we might forsake it and leave it behind. Is God's word doing that in my heart and in my life? Is God's word doing that in your heart and in your life? Cleansing from sin? In the next place, Fink said that God's word will strengthen us against our sin. Strengthen us against our sin. Uh, and isn't that what the psalmist was saying there in Psalm 119 when he says, the word I'll hide in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word strengthens us. The word is what enables us to overcome our sin and be victorious over sin. God's plan is simply this, according to Romans chapter 12, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, God made a promise to the psalmist in Psalm 37. He said, The law of God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. It's God's word. God's word that strengthens us against sin. In the last place, the seventh place, Pink said that the word of God is so valuable, so valuable to us because it causes us to practice the very opposite of sin. The very opposite. Uh, sin is what? Well, according to John, 1 John 3, sin is transgression of God's law. The opposite of sin is then to walk in obedience to what God says. Uh, walk in obedience to those things that God speaks to our hearts about. Uh, God's power is necessary for that, isn't it? God's power is necessary for that. We cannot in and of ourselves obey God any more now than before we were converted. Uh, before we're converted, Paul says that uh, uh, we, we're not subject to the law of God and we can't be. Well, even when we are converted, we are in and of ourselves incapable of obeying God. It takes the presence and the power of God's Spirit within our lives, in our hearts, to enable us, to strengthen us, to empower us to walk in obedience to God. Perhaps you recall, as Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, where he said in chapter 2 of Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Now, he's not saying there work for your salvation. He's just saying work it out. Let it be seen in your lives by the things that you do, by the way you obey God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. We must 
have the power of God at work in our lives. But what, where, where do we find the power of God but in the Word of God? It's in the Gospel, isn't it? It's in the Gospel. The Gospel is the power of God and the salvation. And that's not just our initial salvation. That's not just our justification. That involves all of our salvation, beginning to end. Justification, sanctification, glorification. God and the power of God must do it all in our hearts and in our lives. Oh, but where would we be today as we think about these things if God had not, through His Word, made Himself known to us as He really is? We would have never seen him, would we? We would have never seen God as He reveals Himself. And if we never see God as He reveals Himself, not just the way some man tells us that God looks, but the way God reveals Himself, if we were to never see that, we would never see ourselves as God sees us, sinners in desperate need of a Savior, the Lord Jesus. Oh, do we see the value of God's Word, the great value of the Word of God. We cannot even begin to estimate the value of God's Word. So precious is the Word of God to those of us who have been given eyes to see and hearts to understand. Well, I pray that God will take what we've considered here this morning and perhaps bring it to your recollection throughout the day and throughout the week and cause you to meditate, if you would, uh, from time to time upon the Word of God, which reveals the God of the Word and how valuable that is to us. Reflect upon that. Be thankful for God's Word and what He does in and through our lives by His Word, uh, for His honor, for His glory, as well as for our eternal well-being. Well, I pray that the Lord will truly make His Word a blessing to each one of us this morning. Let's bow our hearts once again in prayer, can we?